0: Hello and welcome to Data Driven. In this episode, Frank and Andy speak with Alex Castro on how data can guide project managers to successful outcomes. As you can tell, everything is increasingly becoming data driven, which is a great name for a podcast if I do say so myself. Enjoy the show.
1: Hello and welcome to Data Driven, the podcast where we explore the emerging fields of data science, machine learning, and artificial intelligence. If you'd like to think of data as the new oil, then you can think of us as like, well, car talk, because we focus on where the rubber meets the virtual road. And with me on this epic road trip down the information superhighway, as always, Andy Leonard. How's it going, Andy?
2: It was going better before I realized my phone ringer was still on.
1: Oh, that's okay. It makes it more okay. real and authentic. Little is that what it is? Okay, uh-huh. I'll go with that, that. That's my story, and I'm going to it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, I have changed it to not bring, but you may hear it vibrate. Um, nice. Because the, uh, <clears throat> yeah, because of that. But to answer your question, I am doing well, Frank. How are you today? I'm doing great. I got my
1: coffee and um, just the, the crisp fall air is in the D.C. area and um, leaves are yeah. starting to turn so um this is one of my favorite times of year where outside it's a little little chilly not too much yep. jacket's somewhat optional but um yeah. if i had a, a way to um uh measure my satisfaction here we go with the uh the tie-in uh with the weather i would say this would be one of the high points of the year um because one of the things that comes up a lot particularly um Particularly at a company like Microsoft, where you had your metrics, right? And if you ever interact with anyone who worked for Microsoft, what well, they say their metrics. They, you know, they have to hit their numbers, and whether it's it's a lot more clear cut when it's in sales because uh, it's a quota. But there's other aspects of the company where they talk about their metrics. So I think um, our guest today can kind of shed some light in terms of what it really means for how do you align metrics? Cause I think incentives drive behavior. And I think that's kind of at the core of the idea of what gets measured, gets managed. Uh, is that a Drecker quote, I think? Um, but um, so our guest today is Alex Castro and uh, he aligns execution uh, for strategy. Um, and uh, he's a best-selling offer and he's the creator and founder of REM score. Uh, and he'll tell us what that means. I'm pretty sure it doesn't mean um, the band out of uh, Georgia. Um, or sleeping, uh, but he believes that the idea, the gap between strategy and ideas and execution, is a persistent problem that does sideline too many potential um, and innov- innovation and digital transformation growth opportunities. Um, so, so welcome to the show, Alex. How's it
3: going? It's going great. Thanks, guys. It's it's really uh, an honor and a pleasure to be here.
1: Awesome. We're, we're glad to have you. I mean, as someone who's kind of had to live and die by metrics. Um, for the better part of a decade (laughs) at Microsoft, um, (laughs) I have seen kind of when metrics go right, and I've also seen when they kind of go wrong. So um, what, you know, if you had to kind of explain, what is the REM score?
3: Well, I think that most people can relate to the fact that um, there's a lot of really great ideas being generated right you know that that innovation engine the the how are we going to solve the equation how are we going to be better about growth or doing something and then they get into the execution of it. Right? they they transfer from idea generation and strategy and then they get into the doing right and a lot of the time the doing is something gets it's like a stack of of uh, a big stack of of idea gets thrown over this mystery wall into and falls on somebody's desk and, and it's like, okay, well there you know we figured out what the great idea is go go get that done. and uh, and what happens is then, You know, somebody picks their heads up and is looking around and saying, how is that supposed to work? You know, there's there's like immediately the laundry list of all of the the barriers and limitations that you have start to come up. Right. And it's more intuitively driven. And so over the years, people have tried a lot of different uh, approaches. Right. They've said, look, you know, we're going to create this Frankenstein uh, project execution model that says we're going to take best practices from every possible you know effort that we've done and we're going to create this ultimate best practices model and that that you know is is hitting this and and so i kind of you know i put it kind of in a in a in a sports you know context you know so it kind of simplifies it right it's it's like saying you know the team that won the championship last year if we think in the context that there is one model that is that ultimate hybrid the team that won the championship last year by default should win the championship this year because they're using the exact same model right they won it so it should carry over and why don't they why why doesn't a team you know any kind of an nfl uh, nba baseball hockey soccer whatever you'd like to watch why don't they win this championship again the next year I mean, if that model, that execution model is so tuned in, why doesn't it happen? And and, and that's because every situation has its own challenges. Mm. And it's the same in our business life, in our professional technical lives. It's, it's the same way, you know, in translating strategy or idea into action. And it's the fact that there are circumstances in every execution opportunity that are not really replicable from one project to the other, right? And most project managers that may be listening to to this, you know, are gonna understand that, you know, this very well is that from day one on a typical effort, be it a, you know, a a back office modernization or implementation of AI or machine learning or implementation or uh, integration of an acquisition or new product launch, whatever it is that you're doing, right? is that day day one of the project that you're assigned to is an exercise in damage control, right? It's like you are- (laughs) an
1: interesting way to look at it.
3: (laughs) Right? Like you are immediately put into this role of mitigating all of the um, unconsidered variables and the potential variables heading downstream, right? And you know, right, people who are listening to this, who are, you know, deep- Subject matter experts and people who have been through the gauntlet know that no one project stays one project. What happens is it splinters. It splinters into two, three, four, five or five sub projects because while you're trying to execute the core mission here, suddenly you have to go and correct the fact that a business unit may not know how it operates or that critical resources are overcommitted, and now you have to backfill those subject matter experts and bring them in, or a leader is not a good decision maker, or the vision is not clear, or, you know, 12 other factors that come into play. And suddenly you have to be in your scope. You're now correcting everything that's going on just to deliver your AI ML initiative just to deliver that acquisition integration, just to deliver whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and really, where it comes down to is that in the decision process, or even in the, you know, let's say that you've been handed this and you're in the bout to go into project execution. In that process of preparation, you are dominated by biases that guide your initial decision making in aligning how you're going to go through your path of execution. And what we found is that when you begin to measure and quantify. Where those gaps are in the alignment between the idea and the execution process and you actually address them prior to engaging your process. That your success rate goes exponentially higher. You typically deliver about. Twice as fast, up to twice as fast, and at about a third less cost. And it's really funny because it's the thing that makes the most sense, but people, (laughs) you know, executives, leaders don't want to do it. Right. Because they're afraid it's going to slow the train down. They're afraid that it's going to, you know, derail the energy or whatever. And I think that one thing that they really overlook in general is the fact that how demoralizing is it to continuously be handed initiatives that, you know, as a professional are not going to make it through. Yeah.
2: And how many times have you.
3: Yeah. How many times you've been in that situation, and it's just like you know, and, and people talk about purpose and connected to, you know, employee engagement and connected to the company goals and, you know, you know, like you were saying, Frank, you know, connected to metrics and and you know and and other elements, right? Now you're bound to these things, and you know there are these KPIs that you're moving forward or OKRs that you're moving forward on, right? And you keep getting handed stuff that, you know, just you look at it and you're like, I don't know why it's not going to work, but it's not going to work because we're not going to be able to get there. And no matter what you do. You can't recover a business out of that, right? And what's, what happens? What's the downside of that? And what's happening in corporate America right now is you have this epic attrition rate out of large entities because people don't want to be part of that rules-driven engine. They don't want to be part of that OKR engine. They don't, they're tired of getting handed things that they feel the potential is there. But the ability to make the leap from idea to reality, you know, to, to outcome. Is so vast, it's so desperate that it it's it just winds up not being worth the effort. So, do you think and the so,
1: pandemic really kind of shone shined shone, shined shined a very bright light on this problem?
3: Oh yeah, I mean, you know, I think uh, probably at least, you know, if if you were in some kind of a either a technical magazine or you were looking at, um, you know, strategy. Uh, probably the first six months of the you know pandemic, you know true six months of the pandemic. I'm not talking like January of 2020. I'm talking like you know maybe Aprilish through October of 2020 right in that real critical time, you really had just a plethora of articles that uh, really highlighted how inefficient or really uh, not there digital transformation was in most entities, right? Because leaders then turned to their digital transformation teams and said, hey, you guys have been working on this stuff for X amount of time. Let's engage that right now because our people are remote, yada, 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 right? What happened? Well, (laughs) it's really not there and we still have work to do. And was it the fault of the technologists? Was it the fault of the project managers? Really, no. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, The reason, you know, this quote unquote, you know, I always love it, IT projects or a technology project, you know, they're never, they're not, technology projects they're business projects right right technologies are play a role in it but it's not it's not like they're sitting in a room by themselves you know with a with a stack of pizzas going hey what can we come up with today to go do right i mean right. you know there are certain technology projects that we all look at and we're like oh that'd be really great to make you know to explore this or improve the efficiencies but mostly it's really integrated into the business you know the business strategy you know and, one of the i'm sorry go ahead no, no, no. Go ahead.
2: Yeah, I just uh, one of the things you you reminded me of is um, it's kind of a disconnect or a cognitive dissonance between how technologists uh, should approach failure, mm-hmm. and and I I beat on this a lot in my blog where I talk I talk about you know, divorcing the emotion from failure and mm-hmm. seeing it as as another step on the path to success because it is nobody sits down. And builds a, a web project or an API or anything, and they sit down and they start typing, and then they finish typing and push the button, and it works. That never happens. Right. So what I'm curious about is, it you know, is does that translate to business projects? You just made a really good point. Yeah. You said they're not technology projects; they're business projects, and I wonder, you know, how does business respond to failure?
3: You know, I think that um, that's a great, great question. And uh, it's an unpopular answer. Um, the, the, it's, it's funny because most leaders and business strategists look at failure as a cost of doing business. Okay. And unfortunately, it's, it's, it's part of that whole bias-driven model. Right. In the sense that we know we've been down this road, we think, we believe, right? The ideas, you know, if you really look at, at strategies today, you know, regardless of what enterprise you're in, um, the ideas that are coming out, you know, there's 80% of them are really good, right? That there's some good thinking going on. There's people having those aha moments and seeing the gap. And saying, hey, we can, you know, we can, we can thread that needle and we can do really, really great things. Right. And then it goes into the process. Okay. Like we're going to go into the execution model and that's where it's this sort of Hail Mary process, right? You dump it into a PM or program managers or integration managers or, uh, product managers hands right and you tell her yeah go go do that right go get that done and she's looking at you like yeah um can we go over the laundry list of the stuff that we need alignment on in order for this to happen and it's like no 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 you're fine you know figure it out as you go along right how many times have we heard that one right go go figure it out as you go along and then you come back three months later the the, the schedule has slipped the budget doubled scope is reduced by 40 percent right and 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 the leaders are looking at you or some, you know, sponsoring executives looking at you going, what the heck happened? And it's like, look, I've been trying to tell you that there is fundamental alignment in the business that is not there in order for us to execute on this thing. And so what happens is that thing that I referred to early on in this conversation, which is if you you have this splintering effect right now, it's like that. PM, that leader, that delivery lead has to go out and figure out, how am I going to get more resources into the business unit so that those subject matter experts are available to me? How can I sit down with a leader and have that person get coached up on how to how to make decisions or lead in a project like this? How do I take a business unit? I remember we, we did a, a REM score for a financial institution, uh, one of the largest financial institutions in the country. And they were replacing their actuarial system, right? And I don't know if anybody's ever worked with an actuary, but these guys are like off the charts smart, right? And it's almost like dealing with clinical scientists. Like they are very, very precise, right? And they had their own decision-making model where they came together as a unit, they discussed it, processed it, went away, you know, did their own individual process and came back and made the decision model. The entire... Uh, project cycle, uh, sort of governance model on decision-making was making decisions in the room right then and there. Yeah. Interesting. It utterly violated their cultural practice on how they work. It took, it would, if they had not used a REM score to understand that this was going to be a point of conflict, you could have easily added three months into the project schedule to really abate the culture conflict within the business on how decisions are made when you're in flight, right? And suddenly those are the issues that start to percolate up. It isn't the fact that the tech is off, right? Think of any five AI or ML engines out there. Are they bad? No, they're not bad products, right? They have some better than others in all those kinds of divisions, right? Their preferences. But it isn't that stuff that blows you up. It's the inability, especially in that AIML predictive modeling space, that's saying, are you asking the right question? Well, where yes. does the right question come from? Right. Right. The right question comes from the business side. It doesn't come from the technologists. Right. But if the business is incapable of generating the right question, you're in flight in implementation or configuration. You're trying to scrub the data or select the right data to integrate, you know, into or preselection on the tool side. But you're going to get to a point where you're now looking at the business unit and saying, what is the question? Right or this is the question that you told me here is the result it's producing and the business is looking at you and saying yeah I already knew all this why why are you why are you giving me this where's where's the where's the intelligence part right and that sets you back six months wow and so it's that cascading pre-project stuff that just doesn't get addressed and it's that stuff that then splinters into five other projects that suddenly you're in you know as i mentioned damage control mode and you're trying to move forward and it's all bias driven it's the fact that we have the biases that are integrated and so what we found is that if you can measure that if you can if you can harvest that data in a automated way right remscore uses swarm intelligence modeling to really run a uh, sort of a predictive model in terms of how to shape questions and interview people to extract root cause factors, right? In terms of what is really at the heart going to slow the project down. Then by understanding that, scoring it, and then providing corrective action back, you now have the insight to fix maybe the top three or four things that are going to derail you downstream where you can't or don't have the time to retrench and reapply, right? The the window is beginning to close. And so what we really found is that when you run that readiness measurement, that REM score, that that understanding of the linkage between idea and capability and where the vulnerabilities are, where the gaps are in there, and you correct those prior to engagement, now you still contain to one project. You're not splintering out your delivery is is that much faster and your cost is that much lower. And so that's the principle of the book and that's the principle about you know really what I tend to talk about to um, to some technologists but most technologists already know this it's more to the effect of business leaders and sure. c-suites right in the sense that you know how do you how do you stratify that?
2: So the clicking you may have heard in the background. This mic is I like this mic a lot, except for when it picks up stuff in the background. Um, is me uh, is was me buying your your audible book? So I just <laughs> I heard enough. I was like I need to know this because as a technologist um, who plays uh, an executive on TV, um, I I need to know how to communicate that, and if I can either say you know here what why don't we consider this and especially as a consultant why don't we consider this or if i can raise the question in such a way to say why don't we get somebody in here who's a specialist like like you alex you know or or someone else who can help us save time save money keep the scope down keep the project on track and deliver that's that's what i'd heard as you were just going through this and i'm like I need to know more about this, realm No,
1: absolutely. And I'm glad you mentioned the book because we want to talk about it and kind of find out more about... Uh, but but the question I have is is that who who gets it for... I mean, obviously, you said the, the business people take, take some... Because technology people, they, they kind of feel this pain a lot. You know, the yeah. Dilbert cartoon, I think, is popular with technologists for a reason. Mm-hmm. And um, what are business folk or business line... Uh, what are their... Uh, What's their reaction to this book or, or to your ideas?
3: You know, the, yeah, it's a great question. Thank you for that. Um, really what you, what you, what I see is that the financial teams tend to keep, you know, kind of key into this message because they're tired of being in meetings and being like, Really? We need more money for that, right? You know, <laughs> right. And so, you know, any finance, you know, CFO that may be listening to this, or somebody in a finance group, you know, uh, or a strategy group for that matter, you know, has been part of that question in the last uh, month or so. Um, some technologists get it. Uh, there are, you know, obviously some technologists, like in any other business unit, it's not, it's not isolated to technology. You just, just want to plow through, right? They, they just was like, hey, look, we'll, we'll. You know we can handle this, right? And that's their choice. But really, at the end of the day, it's the 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 finance people, it's the project leads, it's some technology leaders who have been through the gauntlet and don't want to live in that gauntlet anymore, um, and it's and it's some uh, C-suite. the The challenge that C-suite has typically in this is that they they feel that it's a downstream consideration. It isn't necessarily core to their process. Um, I but I look at it in the context that, you know, it's really like a credit score in the loan application process, right? I mean, if you really look and you measure and you look at the studies out there, <laughs> the default rate, if you look at it this way, right? Is that, you know, during the, the financial crisis in 9, 10, 11, right? The default rate in the United States was like 17, 18% on homes and everybody's going bananas, going bananas, right? It's like, oh my God, the you know, the, the economy is going to crash. The default rate in corporate decision-making is roughly about 70%. Ouch. Wow. Right? The data is there, right? It's very, um, you know, like I said, it, it's they see it in many ways as a cost of doing business. It is very much a sort of Silicon Valley uh, you know, a venture capital driven mindset. How do I optimize operations and continue the cash flow coming in? But then on new initiatives, right? It's we're going to fund, fund, fund. And, and then I love that, you know, there's a. A big influencer in the market with whose name starts with a G that really says fail fast. Right? And to yep. me, that's like taking a handful of darts and throwing it at the wall and hoping you hit the target, right? <laughs> so, right? so how demoralizing is that? I mean, in the sense that like, look, as a tech, if you're listening to this and you're a technologist, you're like, I know good stuff and I know how to get stuff done. And I'm tired of getting things handed to me that don't work or people haven't thought all the way through because I'm now going to be asked to execute where I have X amount of dependencies outside of my sphere of influence that I can't show up at the table to and slam my fist on the table and say, you need to do this. You need to do that. You don't have that authority. You don't have that kind of influence on it. Yet you own or are shouldering the outcome. And to your point, it's how do you walk in the room with, with an independent document that says, hey, look, we metric this out. This is what it's coming to. Can we collectively work as a team to really resolve so the like three key? The, what are the three key vulnerabilities out of the fourteen that are measured, and let's let's address those. So when we go, we go like wildfire, and we engage and we go.
2: So I want to ask about um, specifically about the book. Does the book walk someone through this process? Does, well, if I as a consultant leading a data warehouse project or an Mm -hmm. analytics project, if I go into a company and and can I take the principles you outline in the book and apply them and get these results you're talking about?
3: To a point, you know, um, unfortunately, you know, part of what we talk to, I mean, everybody can kind of cobble something together, you know, for us, you know, and and for me, the book is really an educational uh, position that says, look, we're not, we're not seeing the whole field here. Right? where we're making decisions in a very, in a vacuumous kind of place. Sure. There are considerations that need to be taken in, especially at the pace that we are working at today, mm-hmm. that if we do that, consider them and treat them up front, regardless of whether you use REM score or not, that you can begin to influence the outcome better, communicate better. Right. So think of it as, again as that credit score right. as part of the process.
2: I, right? I love that idea. I guess then, so how do we solve this problem? Do we hire a coach
3: who's an expert in REM score and bring them in? You can. I mean, and you can use the product, obviously. You know, that's the that's the selfless plug in the whole process. Right? So like, there's but, a pro- – yeah. okay,
2: that's what I was getting at. There's a product.
3: Yes, there is a product. I mean, there is a product that you can use. The cost is nominal. Um, and it's more interpreting the results in action, you know, act, you know, creating action out of those results, just like any good analytical product, right? In a sense, it's, it's insight to action, right? And so the thing that, that really at the end of the day, if you are simply paying more attention to understanding that you have gaps and that in communicating those gaps back into the leadership pool and say, look, we can move forward. We will plow ahead as you have asked. And if we do it without really resolving these issues, we're going to run into some significant roadblocks that are really going to potentially cascade into this kind of time, scope, um, and, or uh, 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 cost, impact. Are you comfortable with that? Because right. they're out of our control. These are things that if we don't you know, address. And so the thing that typically we coach... Folks in those conditions to, to talk to is the fact that, you know, today's if you're in an operating unit today, and you're going to do this transformative work to the next iteration, your, your people, process and technology are optimized to today's need, maybe today plus one. Right. Nobody is like building bench anymore, right? In the sense of just having loose resource available. It's just not there. And so when you do that transformational step, depending on how aggressive that is, that means that that overlap of that box, that next iteration box to the box of current operating model, the more aggressive it is, the less overlap there is. That means that there's more new people, process, and technology you need to introduce, and that takes time. And that's the oversight. That's the gap that leaders tend to uh, ignore in their decision-making process because their ambition takes over. The, the shiny thing takes over the, the, uh, you know, the, the, like the coolness of it takes over and telling, yeah, yeah we, gotta go, we gotta go, we don't have time to do that. We got, just gotta go. We just gotta go. And it's like, yeah, you know, people who tend to use that model don't get to the end zone, right? Those are the yeah. ones that drop short.
1: Yeah. I think, I think your sports analogy will hold up because if you're talking about kind of the the team that usually wins are the ones that's most prepared yeah to face that and i think that there's a lot of you know p- the pre-project work the pre-production as it were tends to get overlooked in my experience with a lot of um, um sorry my my phone's ringing now this is the <laughs> um but um i thought i was a little smart because i had my my phone on a different table but um i forgot i had this on the table anyway um (laughs) i think that you know one of the things i learned kind of when i worked in germany for a while it was kind of like this this notion that the you know one of the cultural like when they 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 kind of teach you how to work in the german business culture was like how they they prepare and plan everything up front then the execution time is shorter yep And what was interesting was, is that I have never seen a requirements kind of document that has been better built than when I worked on uh, a website in Germany like 20 years ago. I've never seen anything to that degree. Now, I think there are pros and cons obviously of that approach, but I mean, the whole idea of you, you plan it out and you identify the risks right away. I mean, that's just, you know, it's alarming how few projects I've been on where that was done and you know the ones that succeeded are the ones that tend to address that the elephant in the room right away yep. and it's probably cheaper to and easier to address the elephant in the room before the room is built
3: <laughs> yeah well yeah i mean i agree with you 100 mm-hmm. the 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 thing that that also i i tend to preach a bit is that there are three components prior to a project that you need to do right and I think most, most technologists listening to this right, will, will, uh, will agree with me. And it, it's the fact that most business requirements are about how it should do something, not, pro- not what problem it should solve. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Right? So the, the challenge is business analysts today don't understand that they need to be capturing what is the business need, not how should it be fixed. And, and what they do is they get folks and, and, and excited moving down a path and they tend to articulate design. In requirements, which is absolutely the tipping point to chaos, right? And so our our philosophy is this. Look, you need to run a REM score or something to the effect and understand your capability to execute. Where is the misalignment between the idea and your capabilities? Step one. Step two, you need to build user stories. You need to build use cases or case studies around what it is that the system needs to do. Understand the business rules, understand the workflows, understand what the user story is, right? That then produces a test, a a sort of a mirrored test model prior to even engaging lifecycle. Right? That's number two. And number three, you have to measure change resistance and the depth of organizational development need. Because people look at technology and say, oh, it's just gonna do the same thing faster, more efficiently. Right. <laughs> and that just is not the way it works, right? And so to the effect that when you're implementing a new model, right, potentially an AI ML model or some kind of optimization model in there, you're changing the culture of the business and you're changing the operating model in the business. And so how does operations need to adapt? How to, what's, where? Who's going to resist this change? Because now their job changes or what their comfort level is changing, right? right? That has a derailing effect. If you're just building requirements on the system shall do this, system shall do that, and yada, yada, yada. If anybody's got this experience, you know that your, your requirements document conflicts you know, there are 30% of the requirements in there conflict with each other. Right. 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 And that's because they don't tell a story. They don't tell the use, the user story, right? So you need use cases and test cases, not requirements. And use cases are built from rules, business rules, workflows, technical requirements. then tell a story that get mirrored into a test model that you can truly measure every single thing that's produced and then again you know starting at the top of the flow you need to understand the gap and idea to capability and and if you do that that's the precision
2: yeah i absolutely love that approach and i i think you're addressing an uncomfortable truth about uh, software and technology projects that i've worked on um, I didn't even know how to label it, uh, but that what you've just described, I've thought back over some projects that went sideways. And mm-hmm. you're absolutely right about the 70% um, you know, failure rate on those. We, we have a metric from way back that says in the case of data projects, that somewhere between 80 and 90% of them either fail outright, they're not finished, or they don't do what people expected them to do. And, you know, and I was um, I've been fortunate. Plus, I'm a little stubborn and slightly uncouth. And I will go into someone's office and say, this isn't working. And I don't know why. Here's what I'm here's what I'm trying to do. Here's a problem I'm trying to solve. And I'm running into a stack of resistance. Mm -hmm. And it's a little bit of breaking the chain of command as a tactic. But it has worked, and so far, so far, I don't think I've had. I'll I'll say many of those. I I've, most of what I've done has succeeded. Um, but it's it's definitely something there. W- what you're speaking of, and I think surfacing it, bringing it to the fore, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is incredibly important. So we'll definitely put a link into, um, in into the book as well as uh, remscore.com, mm-hmm. uh, remscore.com, which is, I believe, yep. the product. Yep. And um, I was just digging around on that, and I want to learn more about that. Um, what we'd love to do now is pivot, Alex, if that's okay. We Great. have a list of questions we sent you ahead of time. Yes, so sir. we expect crisp. I'm <laughs> we don't have Be- Before artists. we do that,
1: I, I will brighten uh, Alex's day by saying I also just bought a copy on Audible. So Oh, thank you. Uh, there's definitely, I think, I think uh, this is the problem that people in IT don't talk about. And I think yeah. a little more transparency will solve a lot of problems.
3: Yeah. and You know, I, when I, I appreciate that. And, you know, it, sort of the last kind of you know, point before we pivot here is that the thing that I tend to, I have goodwill hunting moments with most technologists, (laughs) right? (laughs) Right. Where I sit in the room and I sit there patiently and I've had them actually cry is um, say, it's not your fault. Wow. It's not your fault. You didn't do anything wrong. It's not your fault. This wasn't that failure was not your fault. The diminished outcome was not your fault. It's not your fault. It is not your fault. You're well-trained. You're well healed. You have experience. You understand the path. It is not your fault. Right. And there's just simply too many other things closing in on you that you don't have the influence over. But it's not your fault. And it's hard for a technologist and a technology leader to hear that. Because they want to own it. You know, they, they have this point of pride. It's like, look, I know technology. I know it can help. I want to make it better. But it's not their fault. Because in today's world, the pace and the expectation is so outside of their level of influence that, that they can't, you know, it is truly a team effort. There is, IT cannot deliver it. Business can't deliver it. Executives can't, it's like everybody together has to deliver it. Um, and that's that's the transition that a lot of technologists um struggle with quite a bit but for those of you listening it's it's not your fault
1: <laughs> it really isn't i love it i love it it's called herding cats for a reason i guess <laughs> <laughs> and the name of the book though um so we don't leave people is called measure execute and win is that correct yeah, yeah. got it and uh, there's an audible book too which is cool and so you also narrated but you read it. better right
2: Oh, I love it when authors read their work.
3: Those are my favorite ones, yeah.
2: Mine
3: too, yeah. Yeah, All it took me a while. You know, it's like there was a lot of laughing that went in between.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like it it, it was almost like a little bit of a therapy session, I guess. Yeah, a little little
3: bit, yeah, a little cathartic.
1: (laughs) So our first question is, um, how did you find your way into data? Did data find you or did you find data?
3: you know really it found me you know the the data was uh the first startup i did we converted all fifty-four thousand usgs topographic maps from paper to digital this is back in 1995 and um we created the first u.s national database of pre-scanned topographic maps that we would then digitally seam together and create these utilized tiles um that you could then load because, you know, it, it, it you know, back in, in those days, you know, your, your machine didn't have a lot of capacity to it. And uh, we then um, expanded to about 120 different countries. I got through various uh, sources, the entire uh, Soviet uh, military map set, you know, after the fall, I managed to scan that in. You know, sell it to oil and gas and telecom companies that were starting to do business in in uh, in in Russia and uh, had to had to negotiate a royalty agreement with the Russian government uh, because that so our customers wouldn't get arrested with a, a DVD full of data uh, at customs coming through the airport. Um, so, yeah, I'll get an official letter, all that kind of stuff. so it was um it was a great experience, amazing experience, but that was my first uh, my first foray into data and then you know did did I stub my toes a lot on that, but that was a great great learning experience
2: sounds fun yeah. um what is what's your favorite part of your current gig?
3: you know, uh, being a founder and a ceo um you know, our company has been in business nearly 19 years now and um, seeing the evolution of your company, seeing, you know, people thrive and grow and the, the ideas uh, come together in, in cultivated relationships for many, many, many years um you know coming to fruition you know as an example you know we built the vaccine COVID vaccine distribution system for california um, because we've worked with public health for for 16 years and cdc 16 years and um you know, we are now doing a lot of data remediation for predictive modeling that, you know, using robotic process automation and different elements that, um, you know, those early on days where we developed some standards in, in HL7 and in different uh, messaging and things like that. Having that come back and, and being able to apply it in a way that really helps people has is, is been um, really fulfilling, you know, and um, so it's been really cool. Nice interesting uh
1: so we have a couple of complete this sentence um when i'm not working
3: <laughs> i enjoy blank. well there's that's a two part answer there is the there is the um <laughs> there is the social narrative you know which is sort of like um it, you know uh i mountain bike i hike i'm a rower so i row you know i live about an hour outside of lake tahoe so you know i'm mountain I'm, I'm out in the mountains and things like that right. um but the uh, the real the real the real unfortunate answer is uh, sitting in front of a gaming console at uh, <laughs> six in the morning with a cup of coffee.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so is you are you up at six in the morning because the night you were up through the night, or is it did you get up early to do it?
3: Um, sometimes both, um, uh-huh. more the latter than the former, because, uh, I've kind of hit a point where if I stay up too late it takes me days to recover. Um, oh, I but yeah, usually way. I'm up early because we have teams on the East coast and, and so I'm up on the phone and yeah. So
2: that's good. Very cool. So the next fill in the blank is, I think the coolest thing in technology today is blank.
3: I think just the overall social adoption that technology is an integrated part of doing business. Um, Mm -hmm. It's not this uh, siloed element anymore, right? It used to be that you had business and IT or business and whatever. And now you'll see more and more that technology functions are actually integrated in roles within the business unit. Um, So it's not... Uh, isolated in that context. Um, so it's not necessarily a a, a widget focused answer, but it's more the fact that it's, it's much more integrated in the thought process.
2: Yeah, good answer.
3: I like that. Thanks. I also like
1: the, I've heard that, you know, everybody's a software company now or something to that effect or data, yeah. company, depending on, and it's true. I mean, it sounds like a cliche, but I mean, there's some, there's some truth in there, you
3: know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, our saying is we connect customers to data. I mean, that's in essence what what our focus is. And right. it's it it's yeah, I, I agree with that completely.
1: Uh our last complete sentence. I love <laughs> I look forward to the day when I can complete uh, when I can use technology to blank. <laughs>
3: I look forward to the day when I can use technology to drive my car for me. Um, You know, I'm I am so ready to just like jump in the car and like not have to pay attention to driving. Um, (laughs) You know, maybe that's just a factor of my age, but I'm just I'm at I'm at a point where it's like I just don't want to deal with that anymore. Yeah, I'd say that's
2: our number one answer (laughs) to that question.
3: We no, totally agree. We agree. Yeah, totally agree. <laughs> I,
2: I remember driving
1: down. I had to go into D.C. a couple of days last week, and I actually got a a a, a lift ride down. And I was like, I think I was messaging you, Andy. I was like, you know, I can get used to this. <laughs>
3: yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that that'll be a very exciting time, I think. Yeah. 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 So we
2: ask next uh, to share something different about yourself, but we remind all our guests it's a family podcast and we want to keep our clean ratings.
3: Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, you know, this is one of the questions that I think I struggle with the most in general. Um, you know, d- generally speaking, um, I I love funny people. You know, I love lighthearted people who can inject some level of um, emotional intelligence at a humor, you know, within the humor context to doing work because, you know, it's things are serious enough as it is. And being able to laugh at uh, a situation or yourself. um, And so, you know, the, the the something different about myself is that, you know, it, it's at any given moment, there's a that's what she said going through my head or, a, you know, <laughs> some, some kind of, you know, it's like I can I'm at a point now where I almost find it a comedy or a joke in anything, any conversation I'm in, regardless of how straight faced I am. So
0: um,
3: just know that, you know, there's somebody laughing on the inside uh, whenever you're around <laughs> me. <in> some way. <laughs> That's funny. Awesome.
1: Uh, and where can folks find learn more about uh, about you and find out? I know you have um, uh, you have alexcastro.io. Yes. And um, what's another URL where folks can find you?
3: You know, I, I've got a LinkedIn profile with different interviews and things that have gone on there and articles that I've been writing. Um, you can go to www.the-mcorp.com. That's the core company, the mcorp.com, um, or remscore.com. Um, or you can just type my name into Google and uh, and say, you know, uh, readiness or REM score or whatever, and it'll pop up a bunch of different links. So, um, there's a lot of good ways to, to connect with me and, um, uh, and love speaking at events. So anybody listening that needs a speaker, happy, uh, happy to drop in. Awesome. Very and cool. audible is a sponsor of data driven. Can you recommend a good book? Um, yeah, my, you know, honestly, my the one that I, I ha- I've had my entire leadership team uh, read and listen to. Really, uh, I'm an I'm an Audible fanatic. Um, is No Rules Rules. It's it's the book about Netflix operating model um, in terms of their culture model, and it's fantastic. Um, there are so many great things that those folks have have really thought through and um, expanded on. And there's like a million nuggets in there of wisdom that you could take one or a lot of and apply and really make yourself uh, a better leader, better company. Um, so that's, that's a good one. Um, you know, that I, I really refer to a lot of the time. Cool.
1: Awesome and uh audible sponsors data driven uh so you can go pick up a free audible book on us if you go to the your book is four dollars and 86 cents on audible um I, I i would just i would just buy that straight out away i was like i was like oh well andy bought it i was like well i'll just head to my cube because my 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 credits come in tomorrow but i'm like wait it's it, it's definitely <laughs> so i just bought it right away so yeah it's uh, not going to
3: be a bait breaker that's for sure right yeah. right
1: right and it seems like just a little bit of prep and understanding can can really uh, save you a lot of money in over the long haul. If you can just rescue one project, um, yeah. the ROI has got to be.
3: It's massive. Be yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, just, uh, you know, also again, coming out the backside, you know, I mean, how many times, you know, for, for the listeners, you know, right now, I mean, you know, how many times you come out on the backside with a good project, good project experience, man, you are floating, for years sometimes it's like you just keep going back to oh, remember when we did this thing and da da, da, da da well it doesn't have to be you know a lark you know it doesn't have right. to be the, the one-off right It can you know turn that into the standard right That's the goal and um, and not only are you going to get more out of it right so are your teammates but you know think of all the great ideas that are just falling off right and the potential that is falling off, Because execution just keeps chewing through, you know, that, that project. And um, it doesn't have to be that way. So.
1: Absolutely right. I love it. I love that, 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 that could become the new norm. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. Um, And um, we'll let the nice British lady end the show.
0: Thanks for listening to Data Driven. We know you're busy and we appreciate you listening to our podcast, but we have a favor to ask. Please rate and review our podcast on iTunes, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you subscribe to us. You have subscribed to us? Haven't you? Having high ratings and reviews helps us improve the quality of our show and rank us more favorably with the search algorithms. That means more people listen to us, spreading the joy. And, can't the world use a little more joy these days? Now, Go do your part to make the world just a little better and be sure to rate and review the show.